You know, for millions of people, the debt they have accumulated is like a ball and chain around their ankle. That debt that they're literally dragging around day after day is affecting them physically, spiritually, and relationally. The stress that's caused by high levels of debt is a major health risk. It's linked to a variety of problems. And those who report high levels of debt suffer from a variety of stress-related illnesses, including ulcers, back pain, digestive problems, migraines, anxiety, depression, and even heart attack. Anybody ever had any of those symptoms? In fact, they say the risk of heart attacks is twice as much among the high debt-stressed versus the low debt-stressed people. In a recent survey, 73% of the people said money was a significant source of stress in their lives. I've been there. I can concur with that, and some of you probably would agree with me. Debt and money issues can also be detrimental to our spiritual lives. It's been said that no one who is financially bound can be spiritually free. You see, our devotional life, things like Bible reading and and prayer time, take a back seat because we're preoccupied with all our debt and those that we owe. Not only physically, spiritually, but relationally, we can have problems because of debt. The effect of a large amount of debt on a marriage can be measured in the statistics of failed marriages. Finances are listed as the leading cause of divorce by a four-to-one margin. Maybe the marriage vows should contain this clause, till debt do us part. In the last 50 years, nothing in the area of finances has so dominated or influenced the direction of our society as much as debt. A generation ago, credit cards were unknown. In fact, do you know the first year that credit cards were issued? Anybody? In 1951, a company called Diners Club issued the first credit cards. They were made out of paper. 200 people in the New York City area were invited to join this club, and they could use these Diners Club credit cards at 27 restaurants. We've come a long way since then, because today there are 1.5 billion credit cards in use in America. And someone has calculated if they were stacked on top of each other, those 1.5 billion credit cards would reach as high as 13 Mount Everests. The Bible says fools spend whatever they get. I read the average American is spending $1.25 for every $1 they earn. Let me say that again. The average American is spending $1.25 for every $1 they earn. That's what I call deficit spending. 
got to thinking, maybe everyone's just getting ready to run for Congress or Senate. You know, you want to be prepared. But all joking aside, friends, a heavy debt load is a very serious problem in an untold number of households, whether Christian or non-Christian. Why are so many people in debt? Why is there that ball and chain strapped to their ankles, dragging the life out of them physically and spiritually and relationally? We don't have time, and I don't have the expertise to explore all the issues related to the economy, things, the layoffs and the business closings and government bailouts and on and on and on. What we do know is this. Many people are spending more than they earn. Overspending and debt have been around a lot longer than the recent financial collapse that we've experienced. In my research, I, I came across this quote. Many American consumers have clearly shopped beyond their means. Now, matter of fact, right before church, I was talking to someone that's going to go shopping this afternoon. And we thought, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. I thought it was going to be fun for them, but I'd like to go along. Well, when do you think that quote was written? It came from a magazine article in 1987. So millions of people have been living beyond their means for a very long time. They might say, hey, hey, here's my secret. I live beyond my means, and I'm in debt big time. Watch this. Hi! Hi. It's us, the Sanders. Hi. Jim and Joina. I'm Joina. Now, I know you opened the door and you went, uh-oh, it's those nosy uh -oh. neighbors. Nosy neighbors. Oh, we're not no, nosy. We're not. Well, kind of we are. Maybe. Here's the deal. A lot of times throughout the years, we've knocked on your door and said, hey, what can we do for you? Yeah. You know? Because that's the type of people we are. But this time, we're going to kind of turn the tables. Flip-flop. And ask you what you can do for us. Yeah. Hey, oh, hey, 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 hold the phones, hold the phones. You see, we'll just cut to the quick, okay? Yeah. We have no money. We're broke. We got nothing. Yeah, zippo zookus. Nada. Bupkis. You see, what we've done is we've taken the happy train to credit town. Woo, woo. And we've been having so much fun, we are up woo. to dead in our eyeballs. Over our heads. So we need your help. Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. I know what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. Hey, aren't you believers? And we are. We are. We love the Lord. So much. We've been loving the world. Woo! <laughs> you guys have some great stuff out there. Really do. At our house of proof, we got so many gizmos and gadgets. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> and we ain't about to give them up. Nope. Okay, so here's what we've decided to do. Yeah. We have proposed a bailout package for you to help us out with. What do you say? Yeah. Oh, 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 hey. Hold hey, Senator, hold on there, okay? <laughs> You see, we need your help because we are scared. Yeah, we're so stressed out. We got creditors nipping at our heels like a duck on a June bug. She's got a way with words, and it's so true. Yeah, yeah. It's so oh, true. We're so scared. It's, we're like a, a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. All right, Juno, that's enough. Okay. See, here's the deal. The Bible says yeah. in the book of Malachi. That's Malachi. Whatever. It says, God says, says, hey, 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 test me with your money. Bring all your tithe into Bring the storehouse. And I'll just be honest with you. I failed every test. And my storehouse is about to have a pool. Woo! 
We were so excited. Yeah. And we had to get rid of that. Nope. So what do you say? Can you help us? Yeah. We've, we've earmarked this rescue yeah. plan. Oh, hey, 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 hey. It's good stuff. It's win-win. <laughs> come on. Okay. At least, at least just give us some flour. Can we have some flour? Oh, hey. Our son's birthday is this weekend. You could just take that flour and make us a whole cake. What do you say, huh? Yeah. Well, that's a fine howdy-do. I know. Well, I guess it's back to the house to do a revision on the rescue plan. Well, we gotta hurry. I got a manicure in 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What? I think a lot of us can relate to the Sanders there. We want to be in line for one of those bailouts, Senator. Why are people in such debt? Why are we rarely satisfied with what we have? And consequently, we spend ourselves into that bondage of debt. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, human desire is never satisfied. You know, our desires, they speak to us and they say, oh, oh, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Please, just a little bit more. How about this or that? And I believe those who get caught in the bondage of debt do so because of three common misconceptions. We want to look at all three of those this morning. Number one is having more things will make me happier. Many people think that, or at least their actions would lead us to believe that they assume having more things will make them happier. You see, the bling is the thing and I need more stuff. It's been estimated that by the time the average person graduates from high school, they have seen 350,000 commercials on television. And all those commercials are shouting, Hi, I'm Billy Mays. Not really. He passed away, didn't he? But they're shout, they use a pitch man like that. They use the creative techniques to shout out, If you buy me, you're going to be happier. See, advertising must work because they spend billions of dollars each year pushing their products. The underlying message of all the advertisements seems to be, you know, you can buy a little happiness or your life's going to be just a little bit better if you purchase this product. I came across the consumer's prayer, and I want to give it to you right now. It says, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray my Cuisinart to keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and the broker is very wise. That all the wine I sip is white and my hot tub is watertight. That my golf ball never hits the rough and that my sushi is fresh enough. I pray my iPod still works and that my job won't lose its perks. That my microwave won't radiate and my condo won't depreciate. My health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. And if I go broke before I wake, I pray my Lexus they won't take. <laughs> you see, greed is defined as a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. 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 Greed used to be easier to control than it is today. It went like this. You ran out of money and you stopped spending. That seems simple, doesn't it? But see, now we have plastic money. So we can keep on spending even when we don't have any real money. 
Greed is alive and well as never before. They say the average American has five credit cards and over $7,000 in credit card to debt. The average household spends about $1,000 a year just in interest charges on those credit cards. Came across a story. Teenage girl was talking to a friend. She said, you know, my mom's only happy when she's at the mall shopping. But recently, her purse was stolen, and so the credit cards are gone, and so, you know, she's not shopping. The little friend said, well, did your dad, you know, call the credit card companies and let them know? She said, no, the thieves are spending less than mom. <laughs> oh, for some thieves out there, huh, guys? <laughs> the Bible makes it clear that happiness is not found in buying and having more stuff. Ecclesiastes 6 says, It's better to enjoy what we have than to always want something else because that makes no more sense than chasing the wind. The second misconception we have is having more things will make me feel important. You see, many people have fallen into the trap of believing that their value is based on their valuables. Houses, cars, land, clothes, jewelry, boats, electronic gadgets, you name it. In other words, what I own determines who I am. In a Time Magazine article entitled, Fighting the Urge to Splurge, the author states this, since income is often regarded as the ultimate measure of success, people want to demonstrate their earning and borrowing power. You know anyone that likes to demonstrate their earning and borrowing power? We should underline that word, demonstrate. A bank vice president wrote this. He said, this is a society that tends to judge people by the way they spend money. And I say to you, friends, we need to spend less time concerned about how others will judge us in regards to money and possessions and more on what God says. Read this with me, what Jesus said to us. Then he said to them, read it with me, watch out. Be on your guard against wanting to have more and more things. Life is not made up of how much a person has. If we don't trust what Jesus says here, we will live like the rest of the Americans and buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. We'll end up doing this because we've lost our way and we are confused our self-worth with our net worth. And I believe as followers of Christ, we find our worth in being loved by Him, knowing we are forgiven and are part of His family based on the new birth experience. Never forget, your worth is never dependent on what physical possessions you have or may have in the future. Your worth, believers, is dependent on your relationship 
with your heavenly father. The third misconception we have is having more things will make me secure. We tell ourselves, you know, if I can only get some more stuff, if I can only get some more things, then I'll feel secure. I won't have to worry. Things and stuff will never give us the security they promise us. After a certain point in the pursuit of things, they turn on you and pursue you. They pursue your peace of mind, your family relationships. They pursue your health. They pursue your spiritual life. The rich think their wealth protects them. They imagine themselves safe behind it. What they're imagining is an impossibility. It's an illusion to assume that wealth protects us. If you seek your safety and your security in things or money, you run the risk of never being secure. You may ask why. Well, this is why. Because all of it can be lost in a very short period of time. Financial collapse, natural disasters, Ponzi schemes, job termination, and a hundred other scenarios can take down the things you and I have looked to for security. We've all heard heart-rendering stories of people who seem to have it all, and then overnight it was literally gone. The Bible says, trust in your money, and what? Down you go. Recently I read how they capture monkeys in India. They take a coconut, they put a chain around the coconut, and they stake that chain to a, a pole in the ground. They cut a small hole in the top of the coconut just big enough for a monkey to put its hand in, and then they throw some peanuts in there, and they wait. A monkey comes along, he realizes there are peanuts in the uh, coconut, and he reaches in inside that coconut to grab the food. And then when someone comes out of the bushes to capture the monkey, it will pull out his hand, but since it's clenched around the peanuts, mm, it will not be able to remove his hand from the coconut. He's not going to let go of the food, and he's trapped. Trapped by its desire to possess the peanuts. Well, today... Many people have put out their hand to grab onto some things, to possess those things, and they're trapped in debt. An article from Crown Financial Ministries, we used their material this spring in teaching our financial seminar class here at Faith Fellowship and wonderful ministry. They said anyone can become debt-free and stay that way. It depends on three things. Desire. Discipline and time. Now, Crown Financial believes that, and I believe it too. I'm going to give you 10 steps that I came across. 10 little simple steps that help a person get out of debt and stay out of debt. Number one, as I believe it should be number one in all of our lives when we're facing an issue, is pray. Pray. We need to ask God to help us in the struggle with debt. 
no matter how bad it may be in your own situation. Luke 1.37 says, nothing is impossible with God. So after you pray, then you commit to becoming debt-free. Because nobody just drifts out of debt. This doesn't happen. You've got to be intentional, and you've got to make a commitment. I'm sure I could ask you in this place, do you want to be out of debt? And be surprised if anybody said, no, I, I like being in debt. We all want to be out of debt. But we have to do what it takes to get there. It isn't easy. It will take discipline and perseverance. Number three, after you've prayed and made a commitment, you continue to pay God and pay yourself first. But what do you mean by that? Well, it's a principle called 80%, 20%. You pay God the tithe, 10%. Most say you try to set aside 10% for savings. So that 20% goes to God and you, and then 80% you live on that. People usually ignore this because they fail to grasp how tithing and saving will help them get out of debt. And four is a no-brainer. You accumulate no new debt. This includes using credit cards. I read this recipe for getting out of debt. Heat your oven to 450 degrees. Grease a cookie card sheet, throw all your cards on there and cook for 10 minutes. It won't work. You'll set off the smoke alarms. Don't try it. It's a funny story, but really, whatever you have to do to discipline yourself to not use those cards, because consumer credit is the most common source of indebtedness for Americans. And the sooner you and I choose to stop accumulating any new debt, the sooner we can begin our journey of getting out of debt. The number five, we should develop a budget. And that's a nasty word in some of your households, some households that I have counseled with. A budget? But a budget is just a plan for managing money in your home. If you're in debt, you may need to have a fairly restrictive budget for a considerable period of time. I found a real good budget that you can use online, Budget 5000. Check it out. Number six, work out a payback plan with your creditors. Talk to them. Don't try to avoid them. Most of them want to work with you. They're more than willing to come up with some kind of plan. They want you to make it because they want to get paid back. Don't avoid them. Pay them back. Talk to them. Work out a plan. Number seven, learn to trust God for the things you think you truly need but can't afford. Take your request again to God in prayer. Trust him and then wait for the answer. You know, maybe the God will tell you, you don't need that thing that you think you need. And after a few days, you decide, you're right, God, I don't need that. Number eight, exercise self-discipline as a lifestyle. Curb your impulses to buy. You know why I don't hang around a lot of malls? Because I like to buy when I hang around. I don't have that self-discipline that some of you have. So if you haven't budgeted for an item... Don't buy it. Number nine, seek counsel. Very hard for some people to do. But many people may need assistance with making and maintaining a budget and working with creditors. I'm going to give you three sources. DaveRamsey.com, excellent. 
Love to hear him on the radio. Wonderful advice. And he is a believer. The Crown Financial that I spoke about earlier, www.crown.org. And then consumercredit.com is a non-Christian organization, but all three of these will give you wonderful information and resources to help you. Those first nine won't do you a bit of good unless you do number ten. Stick to it. Getting out of debt isn't easy, but it can be done. You need to stick to a plan. Work these ten little simple steps, and God will help you. The Bible says, let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Do you remember those three misconceptions that we spoke about earlier? Well, in desiring to become debt-free or live in a very low debt lifestyle, we need to flip those three around. So let's flip them starting with number one. I find happiness in helping others, not in having more things. So originally we said we find happiness in having more things, but no, I find happiness in helping others, not in having more things. In Acts 20, 35, remember that our Lord Jesus said more blessings come from giving than from receiving. Now the people who don't believe this verse are the people who've never tried it. I read about a wealthy man that grew up in a, a small community, moved away, made a lot of money, and he wanted to give something back to his community. So he went back and challenged all the seniors in high school that if they desired to go to college in a very small high school, like I said, he would give them a full ride to the state university. And he did it. He said, I've received more happiness from the money I've given away than anything I've ever spent on myself. See, there are many people living in this area who have an abundance of things, large reserves of cash, whatever they're they have. But they do not have inner peace. They do not have contentment. They do not have happiness. Don't believe the lie, my friends. Things do not give lasting fulfillment and happiness. Secondly, in flipping this concept, I find my worth in knowing and serving God and not in having more things. Over 50 years ago, I learned a little song in a Sunday school. It said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, that song is just as true today as it was when I learned it in that Sunday school. I find my worth today in knowing that Jesus loves me and that he died on the cross for me. And he has prepared a place for me in heaven where I'm going to live eternally with him. When you and I really understand how much God loves us and that we matter to God, then we're going to be released from trying to seek our worth in things. Paul said in Romans 5.8, God showed us how much he loved us by having Christ die for us even though we were sinful. The cross shows us 
how important we are to God. No amount of things, no amount of stuff will ever take the place in your heart of knowing God through a relationship with Jesus Christ and having our sins forgiven and the promise of someday we will live for all eternity with God the Father. The third thing we're going to flip is I find my security in trusting God and not in having more things. Well, we find our self-worth in knowing that God loves us. And we find our security in then trusting the one who loves us. I don't have to tell you this. We live in very difficult financial times. And I personally believe, not to be a doomsayer, but things are going to be difficult for months, maybe a little longer. And we're going to be asked as Christians to trust in God more and more. That's okay because God can handle that. The Bible is full of promises that are comforting and encouraging in whatever financial situation you're in today or will be in six months, six years, 60 years from now. One of these promises is here in Hebrews 13, 15. Stay away from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. People oftentimes misquote this verse and another verse that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6.10. Where he says, for the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. So people read these verses and they say, oh, money's bad. Money's bad. But the Bible never teaches that money is bad. Some of the most spiritual people in the Bible were very wealthy people. Abraham, Job, David, Solomon. What Paul is saying to us in Hebrews and here in 1 Timothy is that the love of money will cause problems in our lives. The greed and the longing for more money just to have more things and stuff is a trap and will keep us in the bondage of debt. You see, loving money, loving things, trusting in money and trusting in things is what will get us into trouble. And if you're going to be secure and I'm going to be secure, we must put our trust in something that cannot be lost, cannot be stolen, cannot be destroyed. If all the banks were to fail, if the economy tanks even worse than it is, God's people can still trust him to never forsake us and never fail us. Now, don't ask me how he can do that, but I have enough faith in God that I know he can do that. He can care for you and provide for you, as he's done for countless unknown numbers of followers of his down through history. So, friends, if you're dragging that ball and chain around, can't see it, but it's debt. I want to encourage you. Go to God. Ask Him, first of all, for a heart that rejects materialism, a heart that will reject greed, 
Ask him to give you the courage and the strength and the wisdom to chart a course with his help to be set free from debt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you're a loving and good God. Lord, we thank you today that you want us to have the things of life, food, shelter, clothing. You promised to provide these things for us. Lord, I pray that as your people, we would put more emphasis on what you think and how you look at how we respond to money and possessions and what others think and how others look at us. Lord, we are grateful for all your blessings. We're grateful that in America we have such abundance. But Lord, it must grieve your heart that many of your people are are so far in debt. And it's sapping the very life out of them, physically and spiritually and relationally. I pray that for those who call Faith Fellowship their church, their home, that Lord, you would give us hope that if we're in debt, we can get out of debt. Lord, that you would free us from the, the desire just to have more. The Lord, you would give us the assurance that no matter what happens in the future, you've promised to care for us, to never forsake us, to never fail us. And Lord, that is more secure, and we can trust in that more than any bank certificate or stock certificate we may have. On this Independence Weekend, Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have in America through the actions of our forefathers and those who have given their lives in service to America. We thank you for that physical freedom, Lord, but more than all, I thank you for the spiritual freedom we have in Jesus this day. That on that cross that we've talked about earlier, he did die for us. Lord, I pray that everybody in this building will come to the saving faith in Jesus Christ, will accept his free offer, of forgiveness, and to know the wonderful, wonderful feeling of being free and forgiven in Christ. Now bless us, Lord God, as we have this last song and we go from this place. Help us to live for you victoriously this week and let our light shine for Christ. In Jesus' name.